The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's Easter Sunday. Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. And because of that, we have great hope and reason to celebrate wherever you are tuning in from. I hope that you acknowledge just who God is in our lives, what he's done for us, the giving of his son, and the immense, immense gratitude that we should have towards him because of this day, him conquering death and all that he finished. As we jump in, we are just going to talk today a little bit about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I think that's where we should be on Easter Sunday. Uh, But before that, I want to ask you, have you ever had an opportunity to, to do a mic drop? Have you ever had a moment in your life where because of the events or the circumstances, you got the last word in such a powerful way that there was nothing else that needed to be said? There was nothing else that could be said. You just got to walk away. Mic drop moment. I I was thinking as I was preparing this message, I haven't had one of those. And maybe it's because I'm not intelligent enough. Maybe I'm too passive. Maybe just the right opportunity hasn't presented itself. But I've never got to mic drop. I've never got to just end the conversation in a loving way, but there's nothing else that needs to be said. If you read through scripture, it's kind of full of mic drop moments, huge moments in people's lives where at the end of it, there's nothing else that needs to be said because it's all been done. One of my favorite, favorite ones, and this is not a passage we normally read on Easter, but one of my favorite ones is David versus Goliath. Okay, you you probably at least heard those two names. David, probably 16 years old itty bitty youngest son of Jesse. He's out watching his sheep while his older brothers go fight the Philistine army. And for multiple days now, this giant Goliath has come out and just taunted, taunted the Israelite army. If anyone can fight me, if anyone can kill me, we'll just head on home. And day after day, everyone hid. And David shows up to bring some food to his older brothers and goes, why is no one fighting him? Come on. And they pull him aside and they go, because he's huge. He's giant. He'll kill us all. And David goes, I've, I've fought bears with my bare hands. I, I fought a lion. And I don't know how David got to do this watching his sheep. But he goes, I'm not afraid of this guy. I'll go fight him right now. And they kind of try to talk him out of it. But he says, no, 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 no. The Lord is with us. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go fight him right now. And so Saul, the king, puts his armor on him. And David goes, that's too much weight. Can't handle all that. I'll, I'll just go handle it my own way. And in 1 Samuel 17, verses 45 and 46, kind of my favorite mic drop moment from the Old Testament, at least. Here's what, here's what David says. David said to the Philistine, that's Goliath, the big guy. You come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. You're loaded. You are ready to fight. But I come against you. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. He's got my back. He's who I fight with. 
He's my buddy in this mission, in this battle. Verse 46, the day, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down and I'm going to cut off your head. Those are some big words from a little guy. But he knows, he's confident. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. The whole world will know that my God's real. You don't have to say any more after that. Now you got to go back it up. And he did. He did. But you don't have to say any more. That's a mic drop moment. Jesus in his ministry, while he was a humble servant who loved so graciously, he had a few good mic drop moments himself. But I'm not sure that any were more profound and powerful than the one he had on the cross. And as we gather today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, I think it's important for us to look at his death as well. Because on the cross, on that Friday, that good Friday, he did much for us. He accomplished much. And maybe with just two words, had one of the best mic drop moments of all time. We will allow the gospel writer John to kind of help us journey through these last few hours of Jesus' life. On the cross, he will say seven things. We, we will look at most of them, but John doesn't record all seven. We, we compile those between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's how we know this. So we'll just allow John to lead us for the next few moments. And there's a reason why I picked John. Because to our knowledge, he was the only one of Jesus' disciples that was there. You see, the rest of the disciples, they'd fled. When Jesus was arrested the night before, they got scared and they went into hiding. But John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's what he said about himself. He was there. And, and I can't fathom seeing my best friend in the world murdered in such a heinous, in such an awful way. But John was there. And he witnessed it. And he recorded it. And I think as he was trying to find some solace in what he had witnessed, I think as he was trying to do that, he remembered the Old Testament and how much of what happened to Jesus on that cross was recorded hundreds of years before. And that was happening, as horrible as it was, it had a purpose. There was a plan being executed, a plan that God the Father and the Son had preordained, but I think before the beginning of time. So there was a reason, and that's how John could deal with it. But let's, let's begin. We're in John chapter 19, verse 16, okay? It just says this, the soldiers took charge of Jesus. 
There was a guy named Pontius Pilate who was kind of regional director for Rome. He'd been brought in for this week because there were all the pilgrims who had come in for the Passover festival. He had been brought in to make sure that everything stayed calm. Herod was the true governor of the region. Pontius Pilate was above him. And they had brought Jesus to Pontius Pilate very early in the morning. They'd thrown out all kinds of accusations against him. The one that finally kind of stuck, though, was that he claimed to be king of the Jews. And so being king meant he thought he could possibly overthrow the Roman government. That was insurrection. That was not acceptable. Pontius Pilate spoke with Jesus, asked him, are you this king? And Jesus simply said, my, my kingdom's not of this world. It's almost like an invisible kingdom. And so Pontius Pilate didn't want anything to do with this. He felt like Jesus was probably innocent, but the crowd just kept shouting, crucify him. They just wouldn't back down and Pontius Pilate didn't want a problem. So finally he just relented and he said, all right, soldiers, take him, kill him, go. But I wash my hands of this. Verses 17 and 18, Jesus carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. It was there that they crucified him. They crucified him with two other people, one on each side. Jesus was in the middle. The trip to Golgotha is only five-eighths of a mile. So it's not super far, but Jesus couldn't make the trip because uh, one of the things Pontius Pilate had tried to do was uh, an appeal to pity. He'd had him beaten almost to death, hoping that that would be enough for the crowd, that the murderous horde would back down. But they didn't. They demanded more. And so after that beating, Jesus couldn't carry the horizontal piece of the cross. So a guy named Simon of Cyrene, he, he helped him carry it the rest of the way to the skull, Golgotha. And there Jesus was nailed to a cross. It was around nine in the morning when this happened. And, and we keep reading in verses 19 through 22. Pilate, Pontius Pilate, had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. Matthew tells us it was placed above his head. Here's what the placard read. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Now, everyone passing by, many of the Jews read this sign. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Some of the religious leaders, the chief priests and the Jews, they protested to Pilate. You can't write that. You can't write King of the Jews. You've got to write, this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. But Pilate answered, verse 22, what I've written, I've written. He wrote it in three languages, Aramaic, which was the language of Palestine, Greek, which was the universal language of the day, and Latin, which was the official language of Rome. And what he wrote, he wrote. Because he goes, that's why this man's being killed. Ultimately, it's because he claimed to be the king of the Jews when he really never did. He's the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. But the sign stayed up despite the protest of the religious leaders. Verses 23 and 24. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes. They divided them into four shares, one for each of them. But the undergarment was remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. They said, let's not tear it. 
Let's decide by lot who will get it. And this happened so that scripture might be fulfilled. The scripture that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. That passage is found in Psalm 22, verse 18. And so this is what the soldiers did. This is what the soldiers did with Jesus' clothes. And I know the crucifix you've maybe seen hanging in a church. You might have one in your home. It depicts Jesus with still some clothing on. Most likely because this was customary. Jesus was stripped naked. How embarrassing. How dehumanizing. How awful. And one guy took the shoes and said, I can go sell these for a few bucks. And another guy took the outer garment. And, but that, that inner garment, that was the nice one. That was the last thing he had on. That one, they just drew names out of a hat. So you got to take that one home. And it sounds awful, but once again, John shows us that this all happened to fulfill the prophecies. Nothing was taking place on this day that was not ordained by God. Verses 25 through 27. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother Mary, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and then Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' longtime disciples. When Jesus saw his mother there, And the disciple whom he loved, remember that's John, when he saw them standing there nearby, he said to her, said to his mom, woman, which that's a much more endearing term than we would use it. So that's not him being disrespectful. Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, to John, here is your mother. And John records that from that time on, the disciple took her into his home because at this point, while Jesus did have brothers that could have taken care of Mary, they didn't believe. At this point, they didn't believe in Jesus. But Mary knew, and she would need some help after this. And so John, the disciple, was the one who took her in. This is John's first recorded statement from Jesus on the cross. John, this is your mother. Mother, this is now your son. You guys help each other out, because I'm I'm doing my work right now. He'd spoken two other things prior to that. He'd said, Father, forgive them. He forgave the soldiers who crucified him. I still think that's incredible. And then he looked at one of the men crucified beside him, the one on his left, who had earlier been hurling insults at him, but who had realized, wait a minute, I deserve this, but he doesn't. And he looked at him, and with his second statement, he said, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. He made a promise, a bold statement. He knew where he was going, and this man got to come with him. Now, we keep reading verses 28 through 30. Later, and we know that this total ordeal on the cross only took six hours, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., So somewhere towards the end is where John picks up this story. It says, later, knowing that everything had now been finished. Huge statement. Knowing that everything had been finished. And so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said his fifth statement. And I know we're jumping ahead, but he said, I'm thirsty. And that was to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy. 
A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, his sixth statement, his mic drop statement. He said, it's finished. It's finished. In the Greek, tetelestai. It's done. It's accomplished. It's finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. The seventh statement came right after it is finished and it's recorded in Matthew and Jesus just said, into my hands, Father, I commit my spirit. He, he died. It was done. It was over. That, that missing fourth statement, I think it's important too. That missing fourth statement was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because around noon, Matthew records this as well. Around noon, it became pitch black, dark as night. And that's when Jesus was taking your sin and my sin upon himself. He that had no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And in that moment, the father who had always been right there with the son had to turn his back because he can have nothing to do with sin. But the sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God, that came to take away the sins of the world, he was taking our sins upon him. And when he declares, it is finished, church, we can take it to the bank that the work was done. The price that we could not pay for ourselves because it requires death, he paid for us. He asked for that drink because it was an allusion to Psalm 69, 21. And when he asked for that drink, I think he just needed to wet his lips for his mic drop moment. But it also shows me that he was there. He was feeling every bit of this. And he was thirsty. But that next statement, that next statement after that little drink, it is finished. What had Jesus finished? What had he accomplished? Well, I think a couple of things. He had accomplished his purpose for coming to earth. He took care of a big sin problem. He did that in a way that only he could, because only he could live the perfect life as the Son of God. 1 John 3, verse 5. But you know that he appeared, he came, so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. He is the perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 9, 26. He has appeared once for all. Oh, I love that. Once for all, at the culmination of the ages, to do away with sin, to take 
care of the sin problem by the sacrifice of himself. He accomplished his purpose. He laid down his life. The religious leaders had been trying to figure out a way to kill this guy for a long time. And they kept failing because there was a plan here. And no one can take Jesus' life from him. No one can. He lays it down on his own accord because he loves us. John chapter 10, verse 18. No one takes it from me. No one takes my life from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. That's the good news. We're about to get there. The authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. This wasn't going to happen before the preordained time. But this was the time. And now it's finished. I laid down my own life for you. But I also have the authority and the power to take it up again. Because death is not the end of this story, right, church? Death is not where this story concludes. No, it's with resurrection. It's with life. And while we won't see it until Sunday morning, Jesus conquered death. He conquered death. We, don't, we, we can fight just about any kind of seen enemy, but death, we can't battle death. Death wins every time, but not with him. Not with Jesus. He conquered death. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 6. On the first day of the week, that's Sunday morning, very early in the morning, the women, many of whom were at the cross on Friday, took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb, the tomb where they expected to see Jesus dead. They were going to finish the burial process. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wandering and thinking about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, those are angels, stood beside them. In their fright, the common response to angels in the New Testament, in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Verse 6, he is not here. He's risen. He's conquered death. He's done what we can't do for ourselves. He's completed his task. He's honored the Father. He's done everything asked of him. And now he receives his just and right reward to go back to his place at the right hand of God the Father, having accomplished all that he was sent to do. And church, that is good news. That is good news, news to be celebrated you have been saved from something that you couldn't fix on your own. If you choose to believe, to trust in Jesus, you have been saved from your sins. And he saved you while you were still a sinner. You don't have to clean up your act for Jesus first. 
You just have to turn your heart and your soul and your mind to him and ask him to be Lord of your life. He'll accept you just the way you are. He did all the work for your sin. And he loves you. Our proper response to Jesus in in some variation of this order, and, and our response to this good news should be something like this. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. Jesus, forgive me for who I am and what I've done. And Jesus, help me. Help me to live as one who's been forgiven. Help me to live in such a way as to look more like you. Give me and extend me your grace and your kindness. Let your Holy Spirit dwell in me. Church, today we need to remember the sacrifice that was made on the cross. We need to remember that. That is very important. But we also need to remember the life that he now offers. The eternal life that is available to you and to me because Jesus is alive. Because he lives. He lives. You can have this eternal life because of what he finished. The purpose that he accomplished when he came to this earth. He did his part. He finished his job. Today, church, I wonder, will you finish your job? Will you complete your part? Will you accomplish what he asks you to do? Will you finish and let him be Lord of your life? The Lord who is very much alive, who very much loves you, and who very much wants to celebrate you placing your trust and faith in him. Church, today you have an opportunity to make that decision. And I pray in the most holy name of Jesus that you will make that decision and surrender your life to him. Father, help us. Help us to choose your son Jesus. He is the resurrection. He is the life. He is our Lord and Savior. May your Holy Spirit call us by name. May our hearts be turned to you. We love you, God. We thank you for this day, but most importantly for your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.